Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Buddhist Biohacker. My name is Lisa Gunshore. I am your host, as always, and your demystification guide. And we are here with our resident yogi, Satyam, today to talk about mental health. So welcome back, Satyam. Hey, great to be here as always, Lisa. A pleasure. Uh, always uh, great to get together with you and go over uh, what we consider monumental topics of the day, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, and mental health has been a huge topic on Buddhist Biohacker this last like month or two, and people really want the information. So I'm really excited about what you're going to share. And welcome in. Hi, Anne. Welcome to everybody in the chat. I'd love to hear how you're doing. It's the kicking off a brand new week. For those of you in the United States, we had a holiday yesterday for the most part um, for 4th of July. And now we're all back at work. So just don't forget to say hi to us and let us know where you're from. So what is the yogic perspective on mental health? Science? Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> so we, um, and let me just say ahead of time, while I have taken counseling classes and Western psychologists, what way in Western psychology, I am not a Western psychologist. So I will stick to the uh, yogic perspective and, and I will, contrast it with certain Western psychological techniques I've seen employed, but I don't pretend to be or purport to be an expert in Western psychology and folks are welcome to, to write in with the Western psychological perspective anytime. It'd be great to contrast. It's, a, it's, a, it's an East versus, East versus West type of um, platform or discussion or overview. And um, so everyone's welcome to, uh, to share. Um, so, <clears throat> the yogic ideal is that, well, what are we working with? When we talk about mental health, what are we working with? And we're working with human beings. We're, we're, and the, the word for human being in Sanskrit is manush, that we are psych, man, man in Sanskrit means mind, that we are mental beings. Our happiness, our sorrows are mostly experience in the psychic domain and the overall arching aim of human life is to find happiness not fleeting happiness but lasting permanent happiness uh, which touches into the realm of spirituality uh, so so when someone so when we have an issue like mental health that digs and jabs at the very essence of who we are as human beings I mean if we have mental health issues, um, you know, it's like the engine going out on the car. You know, every you know the no matter how nice the seats are, how good the radio system, no matter how good the tires, if the engine's out, the car is no longer functional or viable. And same thing with with us as human beings. We could be very good looking, we can be very very strong, we could be very fast, but if we have a suffering in the mental realm, then then that's our whole viability as human beings is jeopardized or at least diminished. And, um, and no one likes to see anyone suffer. That, that, that's no fun. Who wants to suffer from you know, melancholia, depression? No, no, no one wants to undergo those things. And uh, so what we so as this is a major issue, it's a major issue in our Western society. It's a major issue from the yogic perspective of how is it that we can achieve that state of samtabhao that they talk about in Sanskrit, that of 
perfect mental equipoise where we are functioning, highly functioning human beings that are aware of peace with ourselves and able to interact with others to the best of our capacity. And um, rather than look at the cause, which we may get into, uh, such as you know, materialistic things and, and advanced technology, so what I really want to focus on at the beginning is this major distinction that seems to be how Western psychology and the yogic uh, ideal looks at mental health. And to look at that, the, the main thing that the yogis um, put forth is that not only are we mental beings, but the existence of mind and mind being different from brain. And you've got brain and mind as two different phenomena. And so with any mental illness from the yogic perspective, you've got to decide. The first thing you have to decide before coming up with any treatment plan, is this a brain problem or is this a mind problem? And we want to get into this to make it as simple as we can, because the cases can become very complex. But if we understand this theory that, that not, not everything's a brain disease, things can be a psychic disease, there can be mental illness, uh, that's that mental illness and brain dysfunction are not uh, one and the same necessarily. So let's just let's just talk about that. What is that? So so brain disease or brain issue is where there's some type of congenital or organic or physical problem with the brain. Um, from my own firsthand experience, I can tell you that uh, um, I had a father who got involved in an accident and he suffered from frontal lobe damage of the brain and he had a brain injury, which led to um, where it needed, you needed some type of external phenomena to balance out the chemical in the brain. So brain is when you've got some type of structural, either from birth or from some type of accident or something, or, or the deterioration of the cellular structure of the brain itself, where there's a palpable, physical, tangible issue with the brain that can be looked upon with a microscope or whatever advanced medical technologies it can. And then go after it, your Parkinson's, your um, Alzheimer's, these are brain diseases, essentially. They might, uh, they can touch in on mental, but there's, there's something going on, there's dysfunction in the brain. And then as a humanity, we're learning to address those things, especially Parkinson's. They've made a lot of advancement with Parkinson's in the last few years. It's very ex exciting to see. But then you've got this whole, whole other dynamic that's psychic disease or mental disease. And those stem from a different problem from, and they stem from defective thinking wrongful thinking and so that type of situation should be cleared up at the root rather than be given medicine as you might give to clear up um the imbalance which which was often done with um uh 
So if you have someone who has depression, it needs to look at what is the cause. Is it something psychic? Does someone feel like nobody loves me? Nobody, or I feel alienated. Or, or these types of defective thinking patterns, when they become really rooted, it becomes one's own uh, modus operandi, that can have a really disastrous effect on the mind. And that can change the actual chemistry compound in the brain. It can actually cause a brain disease because of ongoing psychic um, uh, wrongful thinking. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when that happens, um, it can be, and we'll get to this, that it can be medicine is needed to boost up a little bit and, and then get into psychic, traditional psychic solutions. But let me get into this, these two states of mind that the yogis have identified subjectivated mind and objectivated mind An objectivated mind in, in, in the most simplistic manner of looking at it. And my goal here is not to introduce a whole jargon of vocabulary and get everybody confused between Western psychology and yogic ideal, but this may become a term that comes across in the few decades. Objectivated mind is what we put on our own psychic movie screen and what thoughts go with it. And that's always happening. Every thought has a visualization, has, it has a vibration, and we see it in our mind. And in fact, when we dream at night, that's the objectivated mind. Mm -hmm. the, from, from the yogic perspective, con, what, what the yogis define conscious mind is your interaction with external physicality. But the reason why, why dreams are so uh, powerful and can be so disturbing, depending what kind of dream you have, is that there's no check from the conscious mind. You can't say, oh, no, no, I reached out with my hand and that monster really isn't there. It's all going on, what's happening in your mental arena. And that becomes your entire reality. There's no other check. And so those dreams take up all your mental occupation and they can be very, very powerful. Whereas, so if you see a monster in your dream, that's like, that's a big problem because you cannot disprove the existence of that monster. Whereas if you walk out in the night and you think you see something and you say, oh, no, 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 that's the tree waving in the breeze. It's just leaves. So you have this uh, conscious mind to intercede and to give a check. Um, but the objective, so... But in dreams, you don't have that. But as people suffer from psychic diseases, that objectivated mind, what you put up from your own inner self onto the movie screen of the mind can become more and more powerful and more and more dominant. Supposing someone says, nobody loves me. People do love that person, but they can get so convinced that nobody loves me that it can start to lead to a, a clinical case of depression or of alienation or of melancholia. And so from the yogic perspective, that's because it stems not from a brain disorder, but from a defective way of thinking, the way to cure that, if it's not too severe, is to change one's mode of thinking, to, to encourage that person, no, you, you are loved and let's, let's experience that. And let's let's start telling ourselves that we are that we are that we are not a bad person, you know, because they're all different types of complexes. There's fear complexes, uh, melancholia. There's defeatist complexes, inferiority complex, and 
people can, um, through life experiences or through just their own generation, can can um, become involved in those complexes. Those things can become the dominant force in their mind um, for whatever reason. And to initially put such a person on medication would be a shame. And to put them, see if we can't diagnose this from the psychic perspective. You can call it psychic surgery, whatever you want to call it, but to change one's whole mode of looking at themselves. Hmm. And that may be enough to cut that mental illness. If it's really, really, really engaging where that where it's affected the brain to a degree, it may need a little boost up from uh, different uh, medicines that are used in, in Western psychological arena. But that doesn't mean it has to be permanent. It may just be, it, it's like if someone fell in a hole, you can, a lot of kids can jump out, but if they're in a, a deeper hole, you may need to give them a hand until they can climb out. And that medicine would be just a little helping hand to give them a little bit of psychic boost, a little bit of positive reinforcement, because some of the medicines do that. Um, but that doesn't mean that person would have to be um, put on medicine for the rest of their life. It, it, if, it's, if the source is psychic. Mm -hmm. and so that defective um, way, that, that defective mental outlook. So, so what the yogis want to put forth in this is that always remember in a, the, this is the nutshell of the thing that you've got two different stems. Is this, is this an organic issue? Is this a structural issue with the brain? Or is this something where someone's run into maybe their own, they're, they're, they're being their own worst enemy. They're doing fine, but they don't think that they're fine. Or did they run through a series of bad lucks, like a bad breakup, and then they lost their job, and all of a sudden they become more and more sad, more and more melancholic, and they start to lose a little bit of hope. And that can really have an effect on one's mental arena, one's overall, um, uh, the way they see themselves, whether they think they're, it, it happens to, I mean, that's why athletes use, they use, not all their training is physical. You know, they miss a couple free throws at the end of a key basketball game and they get a mental block and they start performing, underperforming of what their athletic aptitude is because they're, they're feeding themselves bad, whatever you call it, bad energy, bad thoughts. I can't do it. I can't hit the shot anymore. They can, but they can't because they don't believe they can. So, um, so this, this type of, so they're not giving that person medicine. They're not giving them mental medicine. They're encouraging them in the psychic domain, you know, through visualization, through encouragement. And that person does not need to be put on psychological antidepressants because they missed the two foul shots. They just need a little bit of psychic counseling. And so that's why it's really, really key because we're seeing a growth in, I, would, I don't even like to use the word growth, an outbreak and um, more a prevalence and uh, an increase in mental illness and reported cases. And that could be, well, maybe there were these cases in the past and now they're just being documented and identified. That's probably some of it. But it also may be due to the increasing pressures of materialism, which is something that um, which is also plays into it, that there's a lot of pressures on the mind. Um, and one, one key thing is that in the olden days, if there was an accident, 
People could solve it. You know, if you had a horse and buggy, you pick up, you push up the, you you can get get a couple friends together and you push the buggy back up and you're fucking running. But if you have a friend and they're in an airplane accident, what the heck are you gonna do? Yeah, the planes go. The the ability to intervene is so beyond our our capacity because of the increase of science, because of the increase of technology that you people can think I'm powerless. Yeah. If you saw your child start to ride their bike and then fall over, you go over and pick them up. Maybe they got cut on the elbow. But if you send off your 22-year-old to go on a terms abroad and you watch the airplane take off and then you know an engine gets caught by it and goes down into the ground and the, the whole thing just goes into a you can what do you what can one do? And that's enough to be. Um, it can be very overwhelming psychically. They were healthy before that, and afterwards they may never recover from that. But the, the source of that is psychic, not physical. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they didn't have a traumatic brain injury. They didn't, nothing happened to their brain other than severe shock from an external, and the mind could not um, digest that. It could not make it through. So. What I mean to say is that in today's world, in today's materialistic outlook, in today's hypersonic world where technology is and and this pace of life is beyond us, that that also is very, very overwhelming. And that also can lead to more cases of melancholy. People feel helpless to intervene in things in the past people would easily intervene with and successful. And so that can put a lot of pressure on the mind. And so you know, how do we address that? But but it comes down to that whole essence is whether it be a child in school, you know, you don't want to start to, to get to that medication point as the initial thing before we really consider, is this a physical brain issue or is this a psychic issue? Is this a, a mind issue of the way one is thinking, the way one is perceiving themselves mm-hmm. and, um, and that's a big realm that's a big realm and that repeated uh, defective way of thinking ultimately will affect the brain in such a way that all the um, secretions of those important you know glands and the brains and the way that our the brain functions will cr- lead to a physical disease as well mm-hmm. and um, it makes me think of in Buddhism, they call it destructive emotions, you know, the, the greed, jealousy, anger, control, all right. those things that, you know, that's what it makes me think of, you know, because that's what they talk about is it's destructive emotion because it's destructive to the mind and, and to the psyche and everything you're talking about. And <clears throat> it also makes me think how important it is that we learn how to surrender and not be in control. Cause to your point, like there's a lot that we can't control, mm. especially now, you know, everything we've been through since 2020, it's like, okay, we can't control what could happen to us and how do we like surrender to that and allow it to unfold because yeah. the control energy creates the, the destruction in our mind that makes us, feel, you know, even the people who've been isolated and alone during quarantine, I think they're, it, it didn't bother me because I'm used to being with myself. So it's like all these things that were, our psyche is being challenged significantly, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the imposition of materialism 
uh, leads to that more and more, where people become more more psych psychically frail. But your point is well taken that um, you, you raised this matter of surrender, and um, we were going to get into this in terms of solutions, but that is a big thing of opening up the gateway of spirituality, that there's, some, there's forces greater than our own unit self, and our minds can expand in, and we, you get a sense of buoyancy. Um, and why this gets so tripped up by materialism is because when the materialism model is imposed on, on in society, people think they're going to get happiness by all those physical achievements or worldly successes. But those things can be taken away at any second. And that those things can't lead to permanent happiness. They lead to, you get a little bit of thrill here and there, but that's it. It's not true happiness. Mm -hmm. And and But when people are so busy in that way, um, spirituality gets lost and mm -hmm. it, it gets forgotten. Um, but we are trifarious beings. We're physical, we're psychic, and we're spiritual. And all three need, and uh, psychic is stronger than physical and mm -hmm. spiritual stronger than psychic and or the, the mental realm. So when so that spiritual realm ultimately is what provides us that buoyancy through the turbulations of life. But it's much easier said than done. Mm -hmm. but, but that's a big thing. Whether in any of the spiritual traditions, it's like this world is the world of of, of give and take of, of gain and loss. Nothing nothing we have stands with us. And so if we're really rooted in spirituality, then that becomes our dominating factor. And that, that gives a great buoyancy to the mind. It's like being on a little tugboat in the open water. It's like, whoa, whoa. But if you can lasso onto a big ship that can totally uh, make it through those turbulent waters without even hardly moving, you know, without undergoing any imbalance, then, then you're far better off. And and that's what spirituality is, is taking your little mind and lassoing it to that big cosmic mind. And then you're like, okay, we're good here. This is working. Mm -hmm. um, well, it almost makes me think instead of mental health, it should be psychic health. Because I think, don't you think, what I've noticed about 2020 is in the, the quarantines and the isolation, um, it really brought up everybody's stuff right about being alone and being with themselves and i feel like there was this huge distraction into other narratives and other stories like it's like everybody collectively went and distracted themselves in a new way yeah and so it, it, it's a denial of our psychic health yeah yeah no, you're right you're right um a lot of times in the yogic uh conversation they'll intersperse uh mental and psychic but 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 it's just it is. It's the deep-seated um, uh, of of who are we? How? What? Well, the conception of self in this cosmos, and that can be really shattered. I mean, a, a clear-cut case is if a stockbroker loses, like when the when when the financial uh, troubles come, perfectly smart, intelligent human beings they lose themselves because they lost so much money. They jump out the window. I mean, this is not, it's not an imaginary example. It, people have done that because of tremendous loss in the, in the material world. And so that that's purely, um, they lose their, they lose their sight that, wait, I'm something beyond my bank account. And not only that, I can refill that bank account. That bank account can go down. It can go up. Why should I destroy my existence over, over that physical loss, which I didn't, so that happens in the mental realm, not, not just jumping out the window, but people, and that is one of the 
cause of suicide is um, uh, financial ruination where people can't handle it. Mm -hmm. It's loss of something physical. But when we think physical is everything, then we think we're nothing left without that money. So yeah. it needs that cultivation of that. Who am I? What gives me import in this world? And everybody needs to feel, um, you know, loved and and valued. And but we have a society that says that your value is uh, monetary. A lot, a lot, uh, you know, your life insurance policies, your, the court cases over accidental death is well. How much was the guy making? Oh well, you know, or how much could he have made in the next fifty years? Mm -hmm. Or how so um, uh, not to not to stray too far off the topic, but nonetheless, that, that those are very central issues in terms of mental health. And those things are psychic issues. Those are not brain. That is not brain trauma. That is the greater overarch of materialism and that psyche clouding one's real true uh, scope or, or insight as to who they are. And uh, so in the, it's, you know, it, it's. It, it quickly mud the, the waters quickly become muddied. So when someone mm -hmm. for depression, it takes a really sharp mind to decide. The first thing they have to decide is this a, a brain issue or a, a mind issue? Yeah. That, and and you, you hate to see anyone jump. If it's a brain issue, you don't want them to say to start diagnosing as a mind issue and start using a variety of you know. Uh, of techniques, those techniques of counseling of meditation, those should always be done. But if they've got a severe physical problem, that needs to be addressed. Yeah. And, and if someone just got a a, a sense of um, has a, a bad case of melancholia, um, it, it to put them on medicine that has side effects. That's a, that's a whole other you know when it could be tra treated potentially through through mental um, through mental through uh, uh, mental avenues. Yeah. 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 So um, so it's a pretty big issue and how we're going to sort this out. So really today, one of the main things I want to put forth is that, OK, how we're going to solve all these things. There are tips, there are ways. But at first, we have to get at least recognition that not every case of depression is automatically due to um, a physical defect and that you know, medication doesn't have to be the first, uh, the first step. There can be lots of, um, lots of techniques, intermediary steps that can be done and, and, and even solved that way through, through mental issue, mental, yeah. mental symptoms. We have a comment from Gina here. She says, I feel like the practice of yoga helps to support one, to have healthier perspective of self-confidence, faith, centered joy, and personal acceptance at all points along their journey. So true. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's wonderful because whenever it, yoga is mind-based, whether you're doing a physical practice, meditation, or, or spiritual chanting, whatever, ultimately we're, we're tapping into our mind. And so there's not, there's a, there's an, you develop an appreciation for who you are and what your greater purpose is in this world. And, um, and, and that alleviates that, uh, you know, that materialistic trap or ensnarement that you say, hey, wait, that isn't my whole personality. Yes, I need a house over my head. Yes, I need certain things, but that is not the totality of who I am. That is not my value system. Those are just tools. And I'm, I'm because of my, my sense of self that I'm a living being, um, and, and yoga practices do that, and, and certainly meditation, 
where you know, the the basic mantra is um, you know I am one with this cosmos. Then then there's no question of uh, you know it's, you're not one with your Mercedes. You're not one with your uh, job. Where you, your your increase in pay. You're you're one with that undercurrent of consciousness that ultimately unites us all, and that is purely psycho spiritual. And then that will cure a lot of mental illness. And that that gives such a a strong base in life that when there is material loss, you're not that affected by it. You'll think, okay, let's solve the problem, but I'm not overwhelmed. We're not going to give up the darn shit because of it. You just say, okay, let's fix it. Yeah. Well, everything physical is, irre is replaceable, but we can't replace our own existence. So. Yeah. No, but what what um, what that last comment was, she's spot on. That's that's wonderful. Mm hmm. Where do we go from here? There's so much. I feel like how do we how do we start to repair our psyche? Like, what are some of the tools? What are some of the things that we can yeah. do from the yogic perspective to yeah. start to heal that space? Yeah. Now, well, one thing one one thing that's important is the word uh, satsang or good company. So it depends who who the uh, what the issue is. But like for example, kids in junior high school where the teasing can become very, very strong. And, and what one experiences in school can be, um, that's their world. You know, what do the other kids think about me? And so, so if, if you have a situation like that, um, simply removing the child from that environment, if they're really, really, really going through some tough times at school and really being teased, remove them from the environment and, and change their friends. And they may say, hey, okay, that, that, that in itself could change the whole problem. It doesn't, they don't need to go um, be put on medicine. They were fine, but they, they caught a tough break in school for whatever reason. So in that sense, satsang, good company. Good company does a lot for the buoyancy of mind, where people are you know, giving you a pat on the back where they step down on the face. And that, that does affect one's psyche. So, so good company is something that one definitely, that's a very practical thing. You know, if you're in a, a bad relationship that where you're always being put down or you're, you're, you got into a bad group of friends or they're not really friends, but people, the, you know, your uh, schoolmates, classmates. Um, and so that, that to remove of the environment is one thing. Um, then the yogis also say they have a, a wonderful technique in yoga called taking the opposite stance in battle. Mm. So, like, like if someone suffers from miserliness, now that's not, you can call it a psychic disease, then if they practice generosity, that will help them overcome their miserliness. They'll, mm. they'll, you know, it helps. And so if someone says that I'm no good, I'm no, I'm not loved, then they have to jump on the opposite wagon and they may need someone to help them. No, no you are loved. You have meaning in this life. And when they get that, that will change their, um, it changes their whole sense of self. That's why meditation is so, everyone has to, at some point, embrace some type of contemplative or meditative practice. You can't just run around in the external world and think that um, that everything, that, that you're gonna be fine. Either you're gonna become a superiority complex, I'm such a, you know, I'm such a, um, I'm so great because, you know, I've got 20 Mercedes and I'm a CEO and I'm this, but you'll, those people also suffer. Those people who achieve great material success, they're not immune from serious psychic downfall. And it happens, we read about all the day in the paper. Hey, the guy had everything. What happened? Why did they annihilate themselves? So material success is never the, 
is never the answer. Well, materialism, material, the external world is just a tool. It, that doesn't make us better or worse. And so we can never judge others or ourselves based on that. That value system has to be eliminated. Unfortunately, we live in a materialistic society where that is like the be all end all. How big of a house do you have? How, what, what clothes are you wearing? And people can say, well, you know, I don't really think like that. Well, baloney, the whole society does. And whatever degree, whether it's up to your neck or up to your ankles, all of it, all of us, um, we're dealing with it because in the U.S., which is pretty much the King Tut of materialism, not to, mm -hmm. not to do blasphemy to King Tut, but to, this is where materialism started and it's embedded into the bloodstream. So you have to counteract that and you have to, re you have to re recognize what is a materialistic outlook and say, oh, wait, 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 wait. I, that has no effect on me. That's not who I am. So that needs to be clarified for people. And, um, and even if we know about it, it takes mental force not to succumb to it. Otherwise, it's like the undertow. You get pulled out to see with it just because we're so surrounded by it. Yep. Um, so true. Well, and you know, that, that goes back to the suffering of samsara and the, the, you know, that's the jealousy and the, I mean, yeah. everything about materialism is, you know, you're filling something up rather than you're just never enough. That's it. I mean, right. you're never enough. You never have enough. And like you said, you have to flip your whole mindset of I am enough and I have enough and what I have is all I need. And I mean, the affirmations that we have to, that we want to say um, to be able to go past that, because otherwise you're almost, it's almost burnt into your mind that you're never good enough, rich enough, have enough, do yeah. enough. It's always like from fitness. I mean, even in yoga, right? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, in, in yoga, in, in the United States, especially, it's like, you know, how, what level are you in and how much are you doing it? And what, it's never about the mental space of it. It's always about the competition energy around it, which goes back to the materialism that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why there's so many injuries in Western yoga. And actually in this month's yoga journal, I, 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 should, I should be getting my digital copy soon, but they interviewed me about yoga in the Olympics and whether yoga should be in the mm. Olympic sport. And, um, and I was categorically denied that. So it's, it's a crazy idea. I don't want to get into that whole topic now, but that would be the, um, that's, that's steering it in the wrong direction. Absolutely. Um, but the, um, but you know, it's such an interesting thing. You've just raised a number of key points there that, um, the, the thing is that we do have mental longing, but that longing should not be railroaded into physical accumulation. Um, and so when we, when we channelize that longing to psychic pursuits and spiritual pursuits, then we're, that's where we really get that fortification and we can get that sense of, of peace because human beings by nature, we, we do want more, but, but, when it's geared towards the physical realm, people, you know, the billionaire wants 10 billion, 100 billion. They, they, it, they, it, it, they're never satisfied physically. They just, but in the psychic domain and spiritual domain, that quest, that quest or quenching one's thirst to get more, um, those, that spiritual realm is infinite and we can 
get more and more and more and more. You can feel degrees of uh, peace. And uh, so the mind needs to be uh, channelized in that direction. And that's where we, where that's where really where human beings start getting great success and they become, um, you know, the great yogis are like, they can change uh, whole societies because of their, their development. But, um, but yeah, so that's where we should, that's where we should point the mind in those directions where we feel greater sense of peace and, and affirmation um, and not a sense of loss. Yeah. It, so that, that's our way. That sh should be where we point our minds. Mm -hmm. Now you feel this study of the jamas and niyamas is a big part of supporting our mental health. Oh yeah. That, that, that they, yeah, that, that's the beauty because all the yogic principles and teachings are all based on, um, they're all based on, the buildup of the human being in, in the most dynamic definition of what is our human personality. Mm -hmm. And so Santosh, which is from Jamanyam, it means psychic ease. And that's the, and they link that point with the parigraha, which is not non-overaccumulation of material goods. If you're mm -hmm. if, if you think that, you know, what we were just talking, you that a million's not enough, I need to be a multimillionaire, I need to be a billionaire, I need to be then you're never psychically satisfied. You'll, it'll always notch. You always think that. Whereas when when we follow those ten principles of Jamanyama, it, it builds us up in a very from the inside out in a very strong and healthy manner. And we're not just beggars of materialism. Mm -hmm. you know, people feel fortified. They feel like they're getting um, more a sense of self and, and, and peace. And uh, yeah, those are good principles. And those should be inculcated you know, and when kids are in diapers and they, where they should walk into what they should walk into uh, kindergarten and second grade, not thinking I want to be a millionaire, but I want to be uh, I want to be a, uh, you know, um, I want to be a person who's at peace with the world. I want to be I want to help others. I want to all those non-materialistic values. That's why the yogis will say build up the preschools. Don't worry about the colleges and universities. Build up the preschool. Build that psychic foundation from the get-go. Because once they're 12, the gig's up. You can only teach them academically. You cannot rebuild their psyche at that point. It's very difficult. It's a yeah. massive job. You can with deep meditation. But otherwise, why go through all the mud puddles if they can be taught at the age of two, three, four, five? Hey, you're a spiritual being. You're here to flourish physically, psychically, emotionally, spiritually. And, and each and every day, all those... Uh, all those realms should be addressed. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, then th th that child's off to a wonderful start. They don't have to unlearn all those uh, uh, defects of materialism. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah it's the, you know, the, His Holiness speaks all the time about cultivating altruism and mm -hmm. living an altruistic lifestyle. And yeah, it comes down to being compassionate for others, but it's also being compassionate for ourselves. And I think like what you're talking about with, with little kids is, can we teach them how to take care of themselves? Can we teach them the importance of, I mean, it's simple stuff too. I've noticed even with my own kids, like brushing your teeth, like as a kid, you're like, ugh, I don't want to brush my teeth you now. And so I think, you know, I've been with the little girls, especially like I've been talking about like why it's important to take care of our teeth and what that actually means for the whole system. And it's right. those little things when you learn to take care of yourself, you learn 
then the importance of taking care of yourself and others, which can get rid of some of this disturbance in the mind, I think, because mm -hmm. you're not always feeling like you have to, because there's, there's a fine line between only taking care of yourself and being very egoic, but also, you know, wanting to be a caretaker and taking care of everyone else and giving everything away, which is what leads to some of these mental disturbances, I think, is you don't think you're worth it and you don't want to take care of yourself and you don't even think that you're as important as, you know, people you meet on, you know, out there. So there's like this balance of all of it, I think. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. And uh, we have a great question. Sorry to interrupt, but this was popped up from Anne. How would the yogis suggest one support a loved one with a brain disorder that manifests itself in disturbed mental thinking? That's a really good question. It is. It's a very um, good question. Oh, good. It's a very good question. And when there, I mean, one is to make sure that they're getting the proper medical treatment in the Western medical sense. It's to make sure that that they're seeing the right uh, neuropsychologists or um, uh, counseling, that whatever the traditional, what, what we've got with the allopathic and even non-allopathic medical um, uh, industry, what that has to offer, that we're in the right spot. We've got the right the right form and the right person to do the job, to handle it from the brain perspective. And then the other thing is to do everything in their life to clear up the psychic realm, that they, that everything should, that meditation should be done, uh, chanting should be done, diet should be looked at, what they do with their free time, what ideas are being imposed on the mind, what hobbies do they have. They should be goaded towards more and more sentient pursuits away from materialism, away from sensuality, building up that mental arena where you really can get a good sense of self. And that will that will help. I, that, the two have to go hand in hand. It needs to get the right uh, brain treatment from the right specialists, whatever, whether they be uh, you know, neuro neurologists or um, whatever the clinical uh, treatment is for that person, the clinical diagnosis is, and then it means to avoid, avoid by um, okay, you know, probably this is not the time to start going out drinking. You know, eliminate all the vices, eliminate all the bad relationships, eliminate um, all the bad television, the bad movies, and build up the life in. Um, in a contemplative manner as far as possible, cleaning up the diet as well. So it, it takes a lot of force and, and, and constant encouragement, perpetual encouragement to that loved one that we can do this, that we can we can march through this. You're not alone in the journey. Um, and so it's, it becomes complex and, and it really, unfortunately, a lot of this really does fall upon the families to be the guides to or be the connecting points be all, be, between all the different treatment plans and the home life. And it's tough. It's a big job. Mm -hmm. It makes me think, you know, too, let's talk. We could talk. This is a, such a big subject because we could, I want to talk about prevention too. But, you know, when we talk about supporting a loved one, um, so my grandmother is 97 and healthy, walks on her own, still has all her teeth, super healthy, but she, um, her memory loss is significant. So like literally she'll 
say something and then she'll repeat it because she just doesn't. So she doesn't remember who we are anymore. There's no concept. Although yeah. sometimes I'm envious of that because when I we just visited her and you're so present, right? I mean, literally she'll talk about a tree the whole time and she just keeps pointing out the tree and how big it is and the leaves and everything. And it's a very present experience, but that's all she can right. do. She doesn't have anything else left. So I think, you know, supporting somebody who's in a space where there's really no going backwards, right? You're kind of in this space is really holding space for them, you know? So like when we went to visit, I went with my dad, it's like, you just kind of just are with them, you know, and you just hold that space and you become a container for them. And it's all about the compassionate effort, yeah. right? Um, whereas if it's somebody who is going through something like MS, for example, and they're having other issues with their brain, it's about the preventative measures and about really educating yourself too and what you can do to support them with their diet, with their lifestyle, with all of those things. Because if you, if, if you're not willing, I think what I want to say is when I was going through my health issues, I did have neurological issues and I lost friends because they were not willing to stop partying, for example, to respect like where I was at with my diet and my own health. And so, you know, it's about if you want to truly support them, it's about being where they are. That's what I'm trying to say, whether they're 97 and they don't remember anything or whether they're going through a challenging health issue or they're trying to heal their brain trauma or whatever's happening. But I also think there's preventative measures we can take with our brain. Um, and I think yoga is a big part of that. I healed a lot of my nervous system through yoga practices. I Google searched yoga practices to support the nervous system. And I did a lot of balancing poses and and things that use right side, left side of the brain to really rework the wiring in my brain. And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are, Siam, about all of that that I just said, because that was a lot of stuff. But I just... No, that was great. I mean, that, that, that was no highly appreciated. Um, to, one is that um, uh, you're absolutely right that in order to help someone, you have to meet them where they're at. There's no question about that. And and how, and we also have to recognize our limitations of well, like what what really can you do for your grandma? You know that. Um, but but the other, there's a lot of she may not remember, but she feels love. And like if you start to she feels when she she knows when she's not being treated right or when she's abused that this is a bad. Situation. Oh, that's one thing. I was with my dad when he was basically unconscious, and I was—I had nestled my head into his shoulder, and and I could feel that we there was a, a psychic connection. And my aunt from the other side of him, oh look at that! He had tilted his head all the way over to me to tap, gently tap the head. It, some people would have said he's not there anymore, but they are there. They can feel love so never give up hope that say well don't think of them as, as as physical beings that they feel that tenderness of life just like when they're a baby and was well, say you know some parents not i shouldn't say some parents but some people they oh, the kid can't do anything they just it's just little just drools on himself forget about that that's when that baby is fully understanding love and touch and embrace and and safety and stewardship and all those fine things happen with that molds the mind 
all that tenderness beyond um, that so the human mind is still tender when they may not have that memory they can still feel love and they'll feel supported and um so so we're not powerless in that regard to help them that 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 subtle aspect of mind but in terms of the yogic practices absolutely they're all mind-based all the physical postures help with the glandular secretions including of the brain and it leads to um because the brain mind connection is so strong the brain can burn out, the mind won't. The more we tap into that psychic and psycho-spiritual domain, the brain is becomes much stronger. And so, and through meditation, that 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 it becomes um, that the mind, the brain becomes it will not atrophy. It will stay mentally sharp, and it will because it's linked with mind. It's not just running, spinning its own wheels. It's linked with the whole. Uh, mental realm, and so uh, that that's a that 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 I think we'll find as people as communities go through more and more meditation, do that that the incidence of Alzheimer's and all those degenerative brain diseases that happen in old age will be less because mm -hmm. of um, that that sense of that spiritual the uh, spiritual element in one's life. Yeah. So that is now who's going to study that and who's going to document that. What all I would say is don't wait for the study. You know, if you could see that smoking cigarettes is not healthy and those people who waited for the study, they got lung cancer and died. And those people who could use their own rational mind say smoking, it goes in lung, probably not a good idea. Do I have the case studies to prove it? No, but I'm not going to smoke. Mm -hmm. That's you know, This is don't wait for the case studies on meditation. It may not come out for 150 years. Who knows when that will happen? <laughs> now, they do talk about it a little bit now. It kind of comes into mm -hmm. common places, oh, deep breathing. But I mean pointed things where, you, where they look upon, that they, they can uh, quantify and qualify degener degeneration of the brain and, and the cellular structure and all that stuff. That might not come for 100 years, but don't wait. Because all those spiritual pursuits invariably help in, the, uh, in that, that physical brain. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, you know, our nervous system and our brains are an amazing thing, much like our entire body, really. But you can really grow new mitochondria. You can heal brain injuries. Um, Dr. Terry Walls, W-A-H-L-S, um, cured her MS. And she is actually, her patients are following the Walls protocol, which is a diet only, you guys. Um, are actually seeing their lesions disappear. Yeah. Um, so the, there's so much opportunity for us to heal our bodies. And it's the support which goes full circle back to what you started with talking about the psyche and the health mm -hmm. of our psyche. Because if you want to heal, you will. Mm -hmm. If you are positive and focused and, you know, in an affirming space, you're going to create health and healing for yourself. If you are not supported, if you're feeling like you can't do it, if you're feeling those destructive emotions, then healing is not easy. It's probably still possible, but it's not easy and it can de cause deterioration. And so I think it's really, you can read all the science and statistics about dementia and Alzheimer's and MS and all of this 
trauma to the brain that's happening, Lyme's disease, what it's doing to the brain. Um, and you can feel overwhelmed or you can say, you know what, like I have Epstein-Barr, I have Lyme's disease, I have um, genetic mutations and I'm completely healthy. And it's because of my mental outlook. It's because of my determination to heal. And it's because of how I take care of myself. And it's like a forced self-care. Like you have to make the decision whether or not you're going to take care of yourself or not. And yoga is a huge part of that. And it's not just doing a yoga posture. It's everything you're talking about, Satyam. It's it's the jamas and niyamas. It's it's the philosophy. It's altruism and compassion. It's, it's being in a healthy state of mind. You can literally overcome anything. I really believe that. I believe you can heal anything if you believe it. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely, there's no question. The mind, I mean, the mind, okay, well, let's talk mind, we'll talk Agyan Chakra, which is basically, um, you know, the sixth chakra, and it, it's related with the pituitary gland, with now, which now in Western medicine is like the master gland. And we will find that through glandular secretions, all sorts of issues can be cleared up. As we develop the mind, and that mind can really, really positively uh, renewing the whole glandular system will change one's whole physical uh, uh, existence. Um, so uh, on that sense, and also by the, by the yogic lifestyle, by a very healthy lifestyle, so many things we're preventing without realizing we're preventing it. You know, like um, it reminds me of, um, they talk about, you know, no one, no one gets credit for preventing a, um, a terrorist attack. They say, hey, wait, we prevented that, but we get, there's no evidence, uh, you know, they don't get, they don't get um, credit for it. We, you prevented it. Um, but, um, but, the, but that's what you, that's what you, one of the things is that by living a yogic lifestyle, you are averting all sorts of calamities that someone who's leading a materialistic lifestyle will, will uh, encounter. And then the other thing is, okay, when we do run into a rut for whatever reason, or we do have, because invariably people experience difficulties, illness, whatever, um, but we have a lot of capacity to heal. And a lot of that starts with how we view ourselves, what steps we're going to take, and having a positive vision for that and, and not succumbing. I mean, when one's at the end of their life, the question is not a question of medicine. It's a question of who has the will to live. And people can push themselves to a point of recovery, the will to live. And other people can say, you know what, I've had enough psychically. And they can will themselves to death as well. It happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it really comes down to that. There's like a choice point, I think, yeah. especially when you receive any kind of diagnosis. There's like a choice point where it's like you're either going to choose to survive or you're going to choose to let it take you over. And I think that's true for anything, but especially when it comes to your brain and your mental state and how you use your brain and, and what you're doing with your brain. So, yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, two climbers can get into the same uh, accident if they fell into a ravine and they both have the physical strength to, to climb out. But if one feels they don't, they won't get out. And the other one feels they do, they will get out. It, they're, um, and um, so a lot of it is, is outlook. And um, you know, I've uh, been dealing with that a little bit here in terms of 
Uh, I've got an aged mom who's got such an amazing outlook. And it's like, oh, she's, you know, we, we were trying to convince the doctors, hey, we're going to be fine here. We're, we're pushing through. And, and it's worked out extremely well. Um, so that mental outlook has a big, uh, big effect. And, um, you know, so, yeah, it, it's, it's, that is, we're mental beings. That's the starting point. Mm-hmm. Oh, such a great topic. An hour flies by in here because there's so much to talk about. And, um, you know, for everybody out there, we can continue this conversation in the Ajatakasa app. Um, please jump in. We can just put the comments right there underneath the, the show link that I posted up there because um, I know you guys still probably have questions and comments and we can keep this conversation going. And Satyam, as always, I just love talking to you. I mean, it's really, this is such an important topic and there's probably a lot more to say about it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you uh, always offering your platform for ideas and the exchange of information and communication. So um, that's why I like coming back again and again. You're always up for it and ready to dive in. Yes, I love it. And I'm really excited because Satyam's back next month. And mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about um, what to do once you're a yoga teacher, which I think is really important because a lot of us in the community are yoga teachers. Um, and I will be back, you guys, in one hour with April Meganson. And we're going to be talking about why so serious. We're going to talk about why are we trying to be super spiritual and be so serious. So I'm really excited about that too. So thank you so much, Satyam. You guys can find Satyam at renaissanceyoga.com. Um, all of his information's in the show links and in the app under Satyam. Um, anything else you wanna share before we close? Uh, no, just great. Keep on going, everyone. Develop, cultivate good habits. Keep that ball rolling forward and uh, great things will happen. It, that's just the way it is. We just gotta keep marching forward and doing our best. Love it. Thank you so much, Satyam. I love you so much. Thank you, everybody out there, and I'll see you guys in an hour. Great. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.